And I went to the prison chapel and I said, look, I need to be baptised. And he had this, like, bird table. I said, I'm not going in that. I want a pool. <laughs> I not want a sprinkle. So I said, can you not get a pool? And so Bill says, we can't get a pool, but what we can get is a wheelie bin. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. Inspired is all about telling uh, fantastic stories of faith, of overcoming, of God breaking in. There's a lot of bad news out there, and it's easy to listen to the wrong voices and just get depressed and discouraged. So this is all about giving you a top up uh, if you like and uh, yeah I'm quite sure you're going to get absolutely blasted and blown away by by this beautiful testimony uh, by Mark Rowan. Welcome Mark. Good morning, welcome. Uh, it's so good to have you. Um, so I was preaching at Mark's church a couple of weeks ago. He co-leads Coastal Community Church in Barnstable with his wonderful wife Andrea and uh, he signed his book for me. It's just come out. It's called Judged Innocent and it tells his absolutely mind-blowing story in terms of man coming from the wrong side of the tracks and having a really uh, rough time. I'm just actually looking at what it says uh, in the blurb. This tr incredible true story of Mark Rowan is compelling, inspirational, totally gripping from beginning to end. It is a page turner. I, I, I read it on holiday. I passed it on to another bloke, Martin, who I was on holiday with. He was reading it and uh, it says the reader will feel they are sharing in Mark's roller coaster journey of self destruction to becoming an ordained minister. In a world of darkness, brokenness, isolation, desperation, Mark becomes entrenched in crime, gangs, and drugs until that is, he encounters God in a miraculous way. So, this book is for everyone, whether privileged, atheist, oppressed, or addicted. It will inspire and warm your soul. Listen, um, I just want to get straight in there, Mark, and, and uh, thanks for, for writing it, for putting it to paper, because I'm excited as, as to how many lives it will impact. But let's go way back. I mean, you just had it rough from the get-go, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I was, was brought up in a, in a uh, pretty dysfunctional home. Um, you know, my uh, father was a hunter and a street fighter, an alcoholic. And, um, you know, I used to beat up on my mom. And, you know, so she left and moved in with another alcoholic. And uh, I was sexually and physically and emotionally uh, abused in that in that home. And... Um, yeah, so um, it was a pretty, pretty uh, not a, not a normal childhood. I began running away, and um, eventually I, I got put into care. How old were you when you were taken away from your family? I was thirteen years old. Uh, I kind of felt really abandoned and alone, really, as I was the only one that was uh, kind of sent away. And that was pretty much because when I was running away, the, the social services and the police were can't begin to come to the house and they would see my mum with like a broken arm and bruises from the uh, violence and, uh, and abuse that she was suffering at the time. So um, yeah, 13 years old, was an ultimatum. I heard a, a drunken fight in the house and I heard an ultimatum was either he goes, uh, meaning me or, or I go, which would be my mum's boyfriend with uh, his children. So um, it was me that went. So I went on a roller coaster journey uh, through the children's homes at 13. Do you know how many homes you, you went through in total? Uh, well, it was around uh, three or four children's homes, uh, but they just continued to get further and kind of further and further away from anything that I knew. Um, so I was in the children's homes for about till I was 17. So a good couple of years, about three or four children's homes in total. Right. And when did drugs and that sort of escapism come in? Well, kind of that all kind of kicked off when uh, when I went into the children's homes at 13 years old. It was the era of punk rock. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was the Sex Pistols and all kind of punk. So when I went into the children's homes, everyone had their kind of Mauicans and boots and chains and piercings. They were sniffing glue and rolling joints it was just a, a lot of kind of hurting broken people all in one place kind of tr children we were only 13 trying to figure life out so music and and and, and all this kind of stuff was as escapism and so i started sniffing glue and then began getting involved in cannabis and kind of sniffing petrol with all the punk rockers and before you know it, you know, my head was shaved, I was the boots were on, the Mauican was greased up and, you know, I was just kind of trying to fit in yeah. to the wrong place. But I was so angry 
and felt so angry that I'd kind of been abandoned from my home and just couldn't figure life out. I was still very young. Can you share any sort of particularly memorable escapades? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was just just awful, really. I just I remember people were self harming. Uh, Thirteen years old, uh, you know, there were there were riots. Uh, police would be called as uh, lads would get on the roof and they would literally rip the roof tiles off the roof and then throw them at the oncoming uh, police cars high on on petrol. Uh, and glue so it's just a crazy crazy scene there were lots of fights lots of people running away or lots of a lot lots of uh, girls and boys were, were were sexually active at such a very very young age and so it was just a crazy crazy time in these children's homes but all of us really were just hungry for love really some real love and mm. uh but this it seemed to be like there was just a couple of members of staff around at the time and um and uh we were kind of just felt like we were left to do our thing <laughs> you yeah. know and uh so yeah it just it's, it went like that for a couple of years and uh just even more on a roller coaster of just kind of um hating everybody and just kind of dysfunctional and just uh, uh anarchist really just kind of you know, I wasn't interested in yeah. any authorities or anything. I just kind of, I just hated the world. What was your darkest moment in, in your teen years? The darkest moment in my in my teen years was uh, contemplating suicide because I'd come from a home that wasn't very loving, but you know, uh, uh, into this children's zone which wasn't very loving and I just thought well if this is life then I don't want any part of it and even at the very very young age as a teenager I was com contemplating uh, suicide because I just couldn't see how I was going to do life with the experience uh, go, go ahead in life with the experience of life of what I just what I was having I just couldn't see that I was going to make it to like 20 30 40 50 mm. if this is the experience of life I don't know how I'm going to make it so I did contemplate suicide at a very very young age and uh, how old were you when you first you know did a sort of formal crime uh, children's homes it was in the children's homes the guys were smoking weed and stealing glue and petrol I started you know, smoking weed at that very early age, but it came from shoplifting from the local supermarkets and stores. And then eventually, you know, that crime began to progress into kind of breaking into places and houses and factories and all kinds of things just to get money for cannabis. And I'm trying to remember how old you were when you first got a custodial sentence. Uh, I got a first custodial sentence uh, when I was uh, 17. It was two and a half years for a very, very large uh, block of bag of powder. Uh, one of the lads in the children's homes introduced me to someone that was injecting using needles and amphetamines and, um, you know, asked me if I want to start dealing. Well, obviously, I wanted to be the man, mm -hmm. you know, the gangster, as it were. But it's not at all, really. It's just a, a young teenage mindset of wanting to be someone. And so I took these uh, drugs on and started to attempt to deal. I wasn't very, very successful at it. The drug squad uh, came and busted the door down where I'd hidden the drugs and uh, I was arrested and I was given uh, two and a half years in a young young offenders institution. All right. Where where are we geographically at this stage? Geographically, uh, we are in HMP Armley Leeds. Right, right. So it was around that. You you were born. We haven't mentioned it. You were born up 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 in the Leeds area, were you? Yeah, I'm a Yorkie. I'm a Yorkshire man. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was a, a rude awakening, was it? First day in prison. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but, you know, I was so angry, uh, Simon. I was so angry at the world and everything that I, I just didn't really care what was happening to me. It was a rude awakening, having to go in there and, you know, strip all your clothes off and you had to squat down and have body checks and make sure that you're not carrying any drugs and you had to walk 
this yellow line naked in front of everybody to the showers and you know, people are chanting and cheering because your new guys coming in, they're whistling and banging their cups against the, the bars trying to intimidate. Uh, and, but yeah, it was a very, very crazy time, but I was just so angry. As soon as I got up on the wing, uh, in the cells, the, the you know the next day, I, I was I was looking for drugs and I was I was looking to tr for trouble and I soon got myself into a, a fight and was dragged down to the uh, uh, block and uh, you know this is just because of the anger and and that th that was in me at the time you know I just hated the world and everyone in it so it wasn't a, a very very nice nice experience i've got to say i did deserve to go to the block i had a very very bad attitude when i went into the prison uh, but i wasn't going to be intimidated and uh, uh, yeah i just didn't really care for my life or what was going to happen to me and i was just ready to roll up my sleeves and just just take on the world and anyone that was in my path really yeah. and that did not help my situation whatsoever really. Mm. Um, I've done a work, number of work in prisons in, in different countries, but in Burundi, I mean, strangely, I used to prison visit and I, I kind of thought I'd end up in prison purely because, <laughs> I mean, some very good, honest friends had been falsely accused and it was very definitely uh, guilty until proven innocent out in Burundi. If someone you just uh, accuse you of something, you, wow. some, someone show up. And, and my, my concern was always... Um, sexual violence being being raped in prison i mean is, wow. is that is that common oh there, there you know there are times when people have been raped in prison but it, it will not get to the news or anything like it was a real fear as a young as, as, as a young teenager 17 just moving towards 18 in prison you're hearing all the stories about the showers and it really did go on, but it doesn't hit the news. And it was a real fear. It was a very quick cold shower and out you get. Yeah. There's lots of fights because in the shower, there's, there's not officers there. And there's lots of fights of people putting uh, batteries in uh, socks and cushing people over the head. People uh, melting razor blades into the end of their toothbrush and slashing people up. Yeah, it was... It, it was absolutely crazy, but rape and fights and, and cuttings and that all m mainly happened in the showers away from the officers because the kind of officers stood outside the shower block and obviously because they want to give you a little bit of privacy, which was the only bit of privacy you got, but mm. that is where most of, most of the things kicked off. And is there any redemptive value to those institutions? I mean, don't, doesn't everyone who go in there come out sort of a more refined, sophisticated, effective criminal? Absolutely. It, it really, really is. You know, I went in there, a petty criminal. Uh, I hadn't really done much in life. I was just an angry young lad. I got mixed up in drugs and I had petty crime and stuff like that. But it really, really was. It was like going to a criminal university. I got hooked up with people from for miles and miles, different cities all, all around. I learned how to dismantle alarms, how to bust into saves, how to break into cars. I learned so much. It really was like a big uh, educational course in criminality. Mm. And it was absolutely crazy. When I finally got out, I had connections in lots of different places. And the things that I'd been taught, I, was, I began to put them into practice with the safes and the alarm systems and all this kind of thing to earn money to um, just increase another drug habit, you know? Yeah. So two and a half years there, and then how long were you out and what was the progression to another time in prison? I was, I was out after a couple of years, but because it was my first prison sentence, I got help with a flat and my intentions were to have a lovely flat and, you know, just do life. But I still got out angry and I was waiting to put into practice all these things I'd learned in the prison. But unfortunately, my flat became the local drugs den. It just didn't work out the way that I planned in my mind. And uh, people just used to use it as a party place and all kinds of drugs. And this is where the... This is where the, the, the drugs really in my own life escalated was my first flat on my first release from my first sentence uh, was we started rolling cannabis and then the, the amphetamines came out, which, which I knew, but then the heroin came out and other things came out at the party and I soon found myself being addicted to heroin injecting 
two or three times a day and having to go out and uh, again just steal and, uh, and and do what I could to get the heroin and I was soon back in prison. I, I don't think it was very long. I, I don't even think it was less than a year. And I was back in prison again, looking at another large sentence for lots of lots of crime, burglary and forgery and kind of, uh, yeah. So not not good, not the way I planned it, but I just seemed to be like uh, just out of control, just mm. on a destruct in destructive mode, just not caring, just getting high, committing crime, and you know, prison. It just seemed like a part. And children's homes just seem to be like another thing. If I get caught, that's okay, because I go to prison. In prison, I didn't feel like I was being punished. I felt like I had a roof over my head. I had three meals a day, and I was, you know, making friends. When you say that, it almost sounds like it's fun, but it wasn't fun. It definitely was not fun. Absolutely not fun. It's 23 hours a day in a prison cell with a bucket. You do all your ones and your twos in the bucket while your friends are in the cell. It is definitely, definitely not, not fun. Absolutely not. But my mind was so messed up and so confused mm. uh, that when I did go to prison and I was locked in a cell, I, I was thankful that I actually had someone that I could be with and talk to and make friends with because because uh, outside my life was just so crazy, you know, just yeah. so crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, there's more prison visits. How many years in total did you spend in the slammer? Oh, uh, probably, I would say about 10 years in and out here and there. Uh, all over a couple of three years, sent three and a half years sentence, three ten, two and a half, two eighteen, and lots of little bits in between. I kind of travelled uh, uh, the prison system really a bit like you know a, a new rock band would travel around Glastonbury <laughs> and Reading and everywhere. Yeah. I put my names on the walls, you know, because I was just uh, you know I, this is not a boastful thing. This is just looking back at how ridiculously. Uh, crazy my what life was at the time I thought it was cool to write my name I was here and this is what I was doing but looking back it was just an absolute waste yeah, yeah. of life you know uh, and yeah and you were just getting more and more tooled in you know learning everything about cracking safes etc and de, de alarming and and heavier and heavier drugs so go on tell us what was the, what was the ultimate turnaround moment the ultimate turnaround was, you know, when uh, gangs were kicking my door down with machetes looking to take my life. And, uh, you know, I was in a house and in the middle of the afternoon, this is the middle of the afternoon, the sun is shining, I'm smoking heroin in there and a car in the middle of the afternoon, in the middle of the street, just all these guys jumped out with baraclavas on and started trying to chop the door down in the middle of the afternoon and in the middle of a street in broad daylight with axes because there was contracts out on my life to kill me and thankfully that they got disturbed people started shouting but they were almost coming through another time i was chased and I was, I got, I locked myself in this uh, shed because I know there was contracts on my life. I saw this gang running in with knives, but thankfully they missed me. So I, I had to start carrying guns and knives, uh, you know, cause, uh, to protect myself. And this was the absolute turnaround. I just thought, I've, I've got to change. I've got to do something. I just can't carry on like this. My friends were committing suicide. Uh, um, because of heroin and crack cocaine overdoses. I myself was a heroin and crack cocaine habit by that time, with a very large habit. And thankfully, uh, I was soon arrested and sent back to prison where I realised, uh, you know, I've got to change. I just cannot carry on doing life like this. And I heard uh, whilst in prison, this was the turnaround moment, I heard in prison... Uh, that there was a uh, prison in Devon that had a drug rehabilitation wing on it. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the uh, prison officer office and I asked if I could have an application form to apply uh, to go to this uh, prison that within the prison is, is, is a drug therapeutic community. Mm -hmm. And so I applied 
and uh, I was finally accepted. This was the absolute turnaround moment in my life. And you, you arrived there, didn't you? And you found all these guys who were sort of not, hadn't gone soft, but they were like actually <laughs> obeying the rules. And you just thought, I can't do that. It was absolutely crazy. Well, well, you know, I'll be completely honest with you, you Simon. Someone told me, you know, I really did want to change, but part of me was going for an easy ride because someone told me, you know, that there's this prison in Devon on this drug therapy wing and, you know, they have a TV in the cell. I'm like, this has never been heard of. Like, TV, <laughs> like, wow, TV in the cell. I've got three and a half years. I can do that. So part of me wanted to change and turn around, but part of me is really thinking, this is an easy, this is an easy gig. TV in the cell on a uh, drug therapy wing in, in Devon, sea, close to the sea. Uh, but when I arrived there, uh, you know, as you say, when I arrived there, and it does say in the book that I was greeted by prisoners in ironed shirts and ironed jeans and shiny shoes with their badges and they were so happy to see me and like this is not the normal usually when you go into prison everyone's like you know they're eyeing you up looking trying to intimidate you to see yeah. what you're made of see if you're going to be intimidated and whether you're up for a fight or whether you're going to roll over and just be bullied uh, but this was different this was greeted by a gang of prisoners obviously with an officer with the keys to unlock the gate, with smiley faces and they're so happy and welcome, welcome to the drug therapeutic community. And I just thought, I, I, I don't know whether to smile or slap these guys. I don't know what. To do. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but like, uh, it was just bizarre, but it was genuine. It was real. They, they were further into their drug rehabilitation course, probably six, seven months and they'd changed and, Part of it was to make sure that the people coming in were, were being welcomed by people that had done quite a bit of the programme. So that was an experience on itself, really. So it, it was a government programme. It wasn't a Christian thing, but there was a chaplain, yeah. was that it? Yeah, yeah. No, no, it was, a, it, was, it was just a normal prison. It's a prison, and within the prison is a separated area, uh, which is this drug therapeutic uh, wing, which is run by uh, prisoner prison staff, but they wear their own clothes. Now, prison staff that wear their own clothes take a back seat, and it's the guys that have gone through the community for like you know 12, 15 months that have they've proved themselves that get an opportunity then to kind of lead the other guys in the way that the rehabilitation community works. So it's really, really bizarre, really unusual uh, a setup, especially to get your head around it when you've come from like hardcore uh, 23 hours yeah. a day in a cell, slopping out three times a day, sloppy porridge on the morning to go into this, kind of environment where everybody is they are only there because they're willing to change mm. which is run by prisoners that have done this uh, drug therapy uh, community for some time and the officers are kind of standing back in their own clothes i mean to just get your head around that even just for the first couple of days it's like pretty bizarre you know yeah. Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this, these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or, or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast And up to this point you of your life, you've had no sort of uh, interaction with followers of Jesus, no Jesus experience at all? 
absolutely no way. You know, the only time I went to church was through the roof to bust the safe to get money for crack to <laughs> shoot up my arm, yeah? yeah? That's the only time I went to church, Simon. And right. Jesus was a swear word. You yeah. know, I was more into the darker stuff, really. I was fascinated with the devil. I was fascinated, you know, with the supernatural... No one in my family, no one I'd ever known was a Christian mm. or anything like that. So, yeah, Christianity was just never on my radar, really. So where did Jesus come in then? So where did Jesus come in? I mean, what a great question. I love this question because it gives me a, an opportunity just to boast how good God is yes. and how he transformed uh, my life. Well, I, I after a, a couple of weeks on the drug therapeutic community, I got into a couple of fights uh, because I was struggling to uh, uh, submit to the rules and the values uh, of the community. And I was uh, given an ultimatum and ultimatum that I would be sent back to the Yorkshire prison if I didn't knuckle down. But, I, I, you know, I did knuckle down. I gave it a shot. I gave it a go. And you know what? I Over a few months, I began to accept the values and I changed and the months went into months, and before you know it, it was eight, nine months, 10 months, 11 months, 12 months. And and after 12 months, I was offered the opportunity in the, to be the community coordinator, which is the, as far as you can go. And during that time, I was put in a prison cell into a double cell with a Christian on that community, and we were coordinators together. And um, it was a lad that I'd known from the very beginning. So we journeyed together for 12 months on this drug course. Mm. And, you know, he was a Christian. And, you know, I absolutely, every day I ripped him to bits for, mm -hmm. for his Christianity. I would sing, come by yar and anything that I kind of knew, you know, where's your sandals, where's your socks? I'd really give it to him, but it was we were pals, so he took it. It wasn't like I was bullying him. Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, you, you know, you'll be there one day." And you know, at the we we travelled this journey. At the end of this drug therapeutic community, he invited me to church, and um, you know, he, he said there's biscuits there and stuff. And so, <laughs> really, I said I'd go to church on Sunday, but really, my plan was I'm going for the biscuits, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> And this is not normal church. You know, this is church where you write an application, you put your name down, and if you if you get past the application process, they will come and unlock you, the officers, which they did on Sunday morning. They came and they unlocked me, they unlocked my friend and, uh, and, and the others. And you travel like 10 minutes through many locked gates mm. up to where the church is. And then the church gate is unlocked you're put in there and then the officer locks it and off he goes. So like you are in church, <laughs> whether you like it or not, you're there. And I remember going in and I thought, wow, it smells a bit funny. I'm, I'm not sure I like this. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm looking for the biscuits, you know, and uh, I'm sitting there. I thought I'm going to sit at the back. I'm just not into this. And um, the vicar comes in and he's, he starts, uh, he, he starts, Saying, you know, open the book and turn to Matthew, and I'm looking on, I'm looking around, going, "Who's Matthew? I'm on my own on the back." And we're singing these songs, and I'm thinking, "This, I've never heard anything like this." But some of the songs, they kind of, you know, they were interesting. They were singing things that I'd never ever heard before. And when Bill, the prison chaplain, began to talk about Jesus. He was talking about Jesus, you know, having your sins washed away, having a clean slate and a fresh start through putting your trust in Jesus. You know, and I began to think, if this is really true, what the chaplain was saying about you, I can be completely yeah. forgiven of, of everything, absolutely everything I have ever done because of what Jesus had done on the cross for mm. the sins of the world, including mine. Mm. If this is really true, then I want to have a part of this. You know, and so after the service, I uh, went to see the prison chaplain. I said, hey, listen, you know, is this true about Jesus, you know, dying on the cross for me? And he said, yes. And he gave me a prayer on a piece of paper. And he said, I'll come and see you in the week, but I just want to give you this. And I went back to the prison cell. And that night, I pulled out this piece of paper and I just 
you know, read it, began to ask God into my life to, I began, didn't really know how to pray, but I just kind of following the words that the chaplain had given me and I got on my knees and, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I began saying this prayer over and over that then my own words kind of kicked in and uh, in my own words, I was kind of vocalizing how sorry I was for, mm. you know, the things that I'd done and, I didn't know what to expect, Simon. I didn't know whether it was going to be a crack of lightning, whether whether an angel was going to appear. None of that happened for me. I've heard of testimonies of wonderful conversions, but for me, I just felt this overwhelming peace. It mm -hmm. was almost like if I if I could explain it, it was like liquid love just yeah. being poured on my head and trickling down. I I felt something was taking place. Tears was rolling down my face, but not angry tears it was more of a a joy mm. that I was having in this moment on my knees just surrendering my life to jesus mm. and i felt a peace i now know because the bible says a, that passes all understanding in that moment of surrender to god i i felt it and i just felt the weights of the world all just dropping away and i got into bed uh, that night and I already felt like a new man, but in the morning I was like a jack in the box. I was like ping. I was up. I just, I just couldn't wait to tell people. And when I did tell people, I stood in front of the community that day, facing 120 or so men, as I was coordinator of the community. Mm. I said, I just want to tell you all this morning that I surrendered my life to Jesus wow. uh, last night. And they laughed and threw things at me. And they were all obviously, obviously hard in prison. They laughed their heads off. They said, Mark, you were doing so well. You've, you've absolutely lost the plot. What, what are you doing? And I'm saying, I'm telling you, man, this is for real. I feel, you know, uh, this is real. I, I want, you know, and yeah, but I got a bit of stick for a couple of days after that. But you know what? I, I, I felt like a new man. Yes. You know, I new felt creation. like something was happening within me. And the, the prison chaplain, he came and he, 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 I told him what had happened. He was so excited. He said, come back to church on Sunday. And Sunday came round. I went back to church for a second time. You know, I started, I started singing the song. Everything seemed to make sense. Mm. I sensed the presence of God in that church when I walked in. I mean, I have a clue what I was singing about the blood of the lamb. I didn't have a clue about some of the songs that I was singing, but I was singing them anyway, <laughs> you know, and it felt good and it felt right. Yeah. So he gave me a Bible and I took it back to my cell and I read it every single day. And, you know, I could not believe, well, I, I couldn't believe just reading this Bible, what it said about how much God had always, always loved me. Hmm. And always had been trying to get my attention that, you know, that I was a new creation in him, that my old life had gone and I'd received this new life in Jesus. And I was reading things like, you know, how I was knitted together, you know, when I was being knitted together in my mother's womb, that God already knew my name. Yeah, yeah. And I read the story of Adam and Eve and how sin came into the world. And then I began to read how the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus made a way but yeah. we were all planned for a purpose and have a destiny and i was reading these things and i'm just thinking god you're so amazing why has it taken me so long to get to this point and i just again i just kept committing myself to serve him in however he wanted to use my life i was gonna serve him mm. and then i was reading about john the baptist how he was baptizing in the river and i thought i, I want some of that if it's good enough for jesus to be baptized I need to be baptized. But I went to the uh, uh, prison chaplain and I said, look, I need to be baptized. You know, the, the Bible's telling me I need to be baptized. I, I want to be obedient to what God wants in my life. And so he said, well, we don't have a pool. And, I, and he had this like bird table. I said, I'm not going in that. I want a pool. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not want a sprinkle. I'm not seeing a sprinkle in the bar. I'm seeing you go under. So I said, can you not get a pool? This prison chaplain, this, this guy, right, is a legend. His name is Bill Hill. Mm -hmm. And he became my best friend. And even now we are great friends. He was at my wedding, everything. We're great friends now. And so Bill says, we can't get a pool, but 
what we can get is a wheelie bin. <laughs> <laughs> so we organised my baptism and um, we invited all the guys from the drug therapeutic community. Uh, that morning, I kind of said it with my head down, just saying, I'm getting baptised on Sunday if anyone wants to come along. I didn't think anyone would come along. But uh, uh, half of the community more than half of the community came out on my baptism uh, Sunday and there I am standing in the wheelie bing <laughs> singing yeah. songs and what a bizarre mm. picture what a bizarre image and uh, the idea was that it was down with the old rubbish yeah. and it was up with the new and so I was baptised in this wheelie bin in the prison uh, uh, church which is, which is pretty pretty awesome so yeah so had some quite crazy experiences. All the guys that first, you know, they ridiculed me for my faith. They thought I'd lost the plot, that I'd, uh, I'd gone off the rails in being religious. Well, they all started coming to my cell one by one. Mm. People began to come to my cell and it was so funny to watch. They would, you know, their arms would be out like there was some dude and they were they were walking like a hard dude but when they got in the cell it's like they dropped it at the door they're like can you pray for me can you pray yeah. for my mom can you pray for my and my cell be kind of came the place where if you wanted prayer go to mark and so uh yeah so I kind of got uh, a uh, little prayer thing going on with the prisoners and just began to continue to be hungry for the word of God and, and for God's word. And it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Oh, mate, you're, this is really frustrating because I'm clock watching. You're not at all. We've got about five hours worth of material to still to get through. So I'm going to have to just to get you out of prison now. So you come out. Uh, you're completely transformed, um, and I, I love I love reading about you know you were hated by the police. They knew that you were evil, and then yeah, you, yeah. you end up going up and you know doing stuff as this reformed bloke, and yeah. they can't quite believe it. Go on, <laughs> say say briefly about that. When I was released from uh, prison, I was uh, I was released to a new area to start a new life with some prison visitors that began coming in. Uh, they said I could go and live with them in Devon, these uh, retired ordained ministers. And the police realised that there was a crime rate drop in many areas in West Yorkshire, did an investigation, they found out it's because I'd been out of the area. <laughs> And so they found out where I was, where is Mark Rowan? And they found out where I was and they wrung the people. And they said, don't you realize uh, this is a criminal that you've got living with you. He's, he's been responsible for so much crime in West Yorkshire. And they're like, no, that is not the person uh, that is living with us. He's, he's a new creation. He's given his life to Jesus. The police couldn't believe it. Mm. They could not believe it. They were my absolute enemies. They just could not believe it. And um, so a couple of weeks later, they rung back. And by this time, I'd moved into a church building as the caretaker and they'd rung the pastor now. I was living in a church now uh, in a back room at the church, Riverside Christian Centre in Exeter. They rung the pastor, John Partington. They said the same to him. Do you not know you've got a criminal? He says, no, that's not the man. And they said, we've got to see this for ourselves. And um, uh, it was arranged that... I would go to Yorkshire uh, to see these two policemen. Uh, that It was just the most bizarre thing. I was going to Yorkshire anyway to see my, I've got girls, children in Yorkshire. I was going to Yorkshire anyway. And so this meeting was set up for me to meet them and they could not believe that they were talking to the same person. It's like I'm telling them over a table about how I've, Jesus has radically transformed my life from the inside out. And they're just looking at me with their mouths open. These two police, the last time that I stood in front of these two police officers was in the dock at the yeah. court with the jury <laughs> and everyone with their wigs on. And now this, this next time they see me, I'm telling them about Jesus over this table. Mm. And uh, they couldn't believe it. Anyway, what came out of that story was uh, about three weeks later, they invited me back to Yorkshire to begin to give talks to young offenders, which were sent from the magistrates 
and these two policemen orchestrated all this with the magistrate and they got a uh, they got a hall for me and so we'd fill the hall with people being sent from the courts from the judges and then the two police officers would stand at the back that used to be my enemies and then I would give a kind of talk about how Jesus radically changed my life and how you can change and crime doesn't pay and you know and everything brilliant and uh, yeah and so uh crazy just how just to see how god uh uses what the devil meant for bad you know yeah. that i you know when i lived without jesus you know uh, ev everything that i hated has now become what i love i hated the magistrates because they'd send me to prison i hated the police because they would lock me up i hated the prison because it was prison but as soon as i gave my life to jesus kind of jesus flipped it and said hey we're going to use that. Mm. Some, some of my friends are police officers and, and magistrates. I work with the police. I've given, oh. uh, given uh, keynote uh, talks at magistrates' conference, conferences, yeah, yeah. and I'm banging the door uh, uh, on the uh, prisons to let me back in, and mm. a few of the prisons have let me back in. Yeah. And that's just the power of God, how he changes yeah. the, uh, the, the bad for good, you know? Oh, mate. This, I mean, this is so encouraging. I, I've got... Like, even after this, literally after this uh, podcast, I'm off to, uh, we do a, a, a free lunch at church and uh, some of those guys, we've got a, free, a few mates who are on heroin and, uh, you know, a couple, some of them just through human eyes, you think there's there's, there's no hope, you know, it's, mm. it's been generational, it's been decades and, and, and yet, and also I remember working in the red light district in Hamburg for six months working with just the most awful, uh, broken, uh, dark place. Uh, and, and, and you thought, you think there's, there's no, these guys have got no chance and, and you are just such a, a beautiful living testimony of amazing grace and, and it, it can happen, can't it? You can, you can be turned around. Absolutely. Uh, anyone, you know, anyone that comes to Jesus will just receive his love, his forgiveness, and they will not be judged. You know, uh, you know, they just can just open their hearts to Jesus and he will just forgive them and just love them and transform their life. Mm. You know, if God can do it for me, he can do it for anyone. Seriously. Yeah. I was the loudest, you know, anti-God person in the group. I, I was the one that was loudest i was the one that abused drugs probably the most out of the little gang that i was living i was the most antichrist and in the end it was me that came to jesus a lot of my friends that i used to hang with are now dead or yeah. or just messed up and and for some reason god you know it's just i'm i'm well I've yeah. had health checks. I'm completely yeah, well. Yeah. I'm doing good, and it's all because yeah. of Jesus. Yeah, you know? you, and you've had restoration with you. Had you had uh, three daughters in you through Absolutely. in your earlier life, and rest, restoration with with in relationship terms. That's beautiful. Yeah. Can, can I ask you a question on on um, you know God is our Father, and you had just the most horrific experience of your earthly father. How how did how did that work out in terms of seeing God as Father? Oh, absolutely amazing because I'd, I'd not had a father in my life. You know, as I kind of said earlier, from the age of 13, my experience of my original father and uh, my temporary stepfather were horrendous. My original uh, father is passed away now. And so for my whole life, I've been kind of fatherless. And so just to come to know that that, that God is, is also Father God has been, been such a great comfort to me because I can just run into his arms. Mm. There's a story in the Bible about the prodigal son, and it talks about how how he's the father is waiting for the son running over the hill and he sees him and he's waiting mm. there and they just hug. Now I'm not talking about me being a prodigal coming back from sin and squandering inheritance, but just that picture that that felt like that was me when I came to faith. I was just like it's like my father has been calling me and I just run into his arms and mm. that's been a great comfort to me and I, I just really love spending time in that intimate place with daddy God, with papa God, with father. And that's been really, really important to me because he's the only father really that, 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 that has shown me such love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 
I mean, years on, you've you've become an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. You uh, you you co-lead a coastal community church in Barnstable with your lovely wife Andrea. You're living by faith. You're you're trusting God to provide. You've got this. You you've bought the um, the local nightclub, haven't you? I mean, it's a massive project of faith. You, you, what do you, what do you need about a million quid there? Do you to redo that? Yeah, we we need about. Uh... Probably just about one point two mil- million to transform, uh, which was the largest nightclub in Barnstable uh, for twenty years. Uh, we we we've managed to um, uh, pray and get a hold of it, but now it's going to need about one point two million. It's going to be the hub on the Strand, and it's going to be amazing. Uh, we've got some great plans, and it's all for the community. Mm. It's in the community for the community all our outreaches that are planned uh, we're going to put a uh, kind of skate park around the edges of the main hall which will seat around 300 people but the stage is going to be a nine foot half pipe that skateboarders can ride on and up the sides is going to be skate park and we're going to uh, teach people how to surf and how to skate as we're in North Devon. That is the kind of vibe around here, you know, and just use that just to just to help people to, you know, to not to game so much, but to come and get involved in something positive and just use that to help people to uh, live a healthier life. We've got lots of outreaches and uh, we sense it's going to be an equipping and ascending place to the nations also. Mm. So yeah, it's going to be about 1.2 million. I mean, the list, I could keep, I could, I could take a whole program telling you the wonderful things that we've got planned for the hub on the strand, but ultimately it's all in God's hands Mm. and we really do need help. Well, guys, listening, I'd love you to pray for this. I mean, my vision of this podcast from the very first was literally um, sort of showcasing and telling other ministries and people's stories and and being a blessing to them. And from our first podcast, Hope Into Action, I think Edward... um, Ed, by the way, uh, meantime, has been got an MBE for his services, which is wonderful, Ed Walker. But uh, Hope and Touch, I think li- literally got four houses uh, donated through that podcast. And then uh, another podcast with uh, with sexual trafficking, uh, someone rang up and said, I want to buy you a house. So, you know, some people, this is most of us, mm. but some people, you know, the, cat, the Lord owns a cat on a thousand hills. And mm. that's a 1.2 million. Lord, right now, I just pray, Lord, even part of this podcast, it could be that you release that provision mm. for that project to be yeah. to be um, accomplished all for your glory, creative stuff. Yeah. I love um, how it's so outward looking. It's all for the lost. And so it's for your glory. So do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Amen. And then another thing that you, Mark and Andrea, inspire me is that, I mean, how old are you now? I'm going to be 53 next. Right, brilliant. So you're four years ahead of me, but, you know, I love it. And, and part of our story is that we came back having served the Lord for 20 years in Africa and, and the Lord blessed us with a house through through a very generous uh, couple. And I, I know that you're in flat-out ministry, living by faith. You haven't got your own home. I just love it. You know, because most most people listening, let's be honest, what happens is that we, we maybe we're passionate when we're 18, 19, 20, and then, and then we just slowly settle down when we get married we have 2.4 kids and then we we end up the danger or let me just say that way the danger is that we end up getting more excited about new carpet fitting or extension on the house and and the fire can can diminish and uh some of us need to hear that as a challenge, but I love it. You're in your 50s, you're flat out, you're busting your gut, you're, you're all in. And uh, I know that scripture that's dear to me is uh, the Lord honors those who honor him. And I want to speak that over you, that the Lord will honor you mm. in terms of uh, providing for you. So again, I just want to flag that up. That And that's, def- guys listening, that's definitely not Mark wanting me, not wanting me to do that. That was that was just me thinking as I as I you know see their, their faith journey. Um, may, may the Lord provide for you. Amen, amen. God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. Amen. Praise God. So, uh, listen, oh, I mean, we could do several more podcasts. We, it, it, as it's turned out, we've concentrated um, on on your story um, in prison. Uh, we haven't had much time to talk. If you just want to share, you know, literally in a few minutes about your post-prison experience, what would be the sort of key gems that you'd share with us from that time? The key gems would be, uh, you know, just how God has, has magnificently kind of uh, just moved, really uh, uh, moved my life into a direction that I never thought that it would take. Uh, my pastor uh, asked me to uh, train to become an ordained Assemblies of God minister, uh, which I did. And coming from the background 
that I'd come from on this journey of, of, of coming to know Jesus. Uh, I just, this was never on the radar. And so I trained to be a Assemblies of God minister and I was um, ordained uh, many, 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 many years ago. Uh, me and my wife on that journey now, we've, uh, uh, we've repurposed uh, a couple of churches. And as you've just heard, we've got the nightclub, which we're transforming at the moment. Uh, during that time, I've managed to write a, a kind of uh, a book which you which you'll hear about at, at, at the end uh, but life has just been so amazing on this journey of faith with uh, Jesus uh, God has helped repair lots of relationships uh, so with my daughters with my family it's just been an absolute incredible journey with God of healing and restoration and forgiveness and it's still ongoing now we're just so excited uh, for what God has has done uh, we're excited for what God is doing now and we're so even more pumped and more excited about for what God is going to do mm. in uh, the future so it's been a great journey that I've had since that day that I bowed my knee to Jesus in that prison cell I've been to places I never thought I'd go. I've talked to people I th never thought I would speak to. Mm -hmm. It's been an incredible journey. It's all because of Jesus. Amen. It's all because of Jesus. That's a good place to end, I think. So listen, just uh, give a plug to the book and how can people get hold of it? And maybe they can buy five, five ten copies. It's worth it. Go for it. Yeah, you can get the book by going to markrowanministries.com or you can get off Amazon. It's a great book, a good read. And I want to encourage you to go and get yourself not just a copy for yourself, but a couple of copies uh, for your friends and just to really just encourage them. So go on over to markrowanministries.com and Amazon and grab yourself a copy today. Brilliant. Or St. Andrew's Bookshop or Eden. Uh, we, we like plugging those, those uh, Christian bookshops. And uh, presumably they can be in touch with you through that website? Absolutely. If you want to get in touch, uh, then markrowanministries.com or you can contact me on markrowanccc at gmail.com. Okay. Mate, it's been wonderful, really wonderful. I'm sort of sat here with this lovely sort of glow and grin of, of just joy at your, your fabulous story and, yeah, amazing grace. So bless you. Thanks for your time, Mark. Bless you. Uh, speech, well, hope to speak to you in life again sometime. All right. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Guys, I trust you've been inspired. I just think it's been a brilliant time we've had this week and uh, totally faith-stirring. And so please share it. Share it with people. Uh, give us a great review on Spotify and iTunes so that uh, whatever, we don't really understand how it works, but the algorithm ends up flagging it with more with more people. More people get to hear about it. Uh, I'd love it if, in general, if you can gossip it and get other people to subscribe and if you want to be in touch with me at simongilbert.com or any of the social media platforms I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sandiman for the mixing and we've got another fantastic guest next week really looking forward to that so in the meantime God bless you guys and toodaloo